working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. My interview today is with drummer and percussionist Rafael Pereira, who checks a few boxes at once. He's a fixture on the local Atlanta scene and has lived here his entire adult life, but there's also a definite international component to our talk because he was born and raised in Brazil and has been touring the world with Janelle Monet since 2010. If you haven't already, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. If you see fit to help keep the podcast going and growing, you can make a monthly donation in any amount, even as low as a dollar a month. There are some great incentives for various levels of donation, including a video lesson with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar or Carter McLean, or even the chance to be interviewed on an episode of Working Drummer. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer, and subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating and review there. Thank you in advance for all of that. We really appreciate it. So I had a great talk with Rafa in his home studio. We got into the roots of samba, uh, that was the music of his childhood. And we've talked a lot about the relationships between drums and bass and drums and vocals, but he had some things to say about the relationship between drums and guitar, which looms large in Brazilian music. So let's get to it with Rafael Pereira. We'll get to uh, everything you're up to in Atlanta and everything you've been up to for the past couple of years, but... Mm -hmm. I want to start with where in Brazil you come from and uh, just, you know, going going all the way to the back, right. what your background is. So, where's home in Brazil? Home uh, is Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. It's a, a big city. In yeah, the biggest city people, in Brazil, right? For people that don't know, yeah. It's like 25 million people right now. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I grew up there. I was born in a smaller city nearby, but I grew up there. And um, my brother... Uh, Played guitar when he was like when I was about eight or nine. He started playing guitar. He's four years older than I am, and um, you know I started getting interested in music because of that. Mm -hmm. Nobody in my family played. You know, my mom was a, a vinyl collector and all that. She loved music, but nobody played. So once I start, I saw him playing. I wanted to play with him, and he started playing a few bands. I started following him around. He played um. Started playing seven string guitars, a traditional samba guitar. Yeah. And so I started going to the samba rounds with him and, and just picking up, you know, little percussion instruments here and there. Played piano before that from six to 12. But once I, you know, started playing drums and percussion, I felt like uh, I lost touch with the piano and just gradually jumped into the percussion world and. Stuck with percussion for for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, in the, like the music your brother was playing, um, was that traditional samba music? Yeah, traditional samba music, pretty much. Like, and he was always into the roots. There's the modern side as well, but he was always into the roots side. Right, and I want to get into that because there's you know, as as Americans we think about Brazilian samba music, right? Um, and you know, a lot of people don't even think of traditional brazilian artists like Jao gilberto or something they'll right. think of they'll think of stan getz right and that stuff is great but it's not it's not quite the the real authentic right you know um so 
what was you know what was your early exposure to i mean it sounds like your brother rather than than getting into the music of his generation he got into the music of your parents generation yes we were always a little bit going back to to roots on any music even like you know we early in the days i played piano in one of his bands on a reggae band right mm -hmm. and it was always going back to the roots and finding that was our passion always like Look what I found, you know, this tape my friend had. I copied some songs from the, like, 60s. Right. Back to, like, even before Bob, you know, and all that stuff. So and when we got into Samba, and it was it was that, my mom would always laugh at us. Like, now you guys are going to be, like, into the Samba fever for a while. Like, <laughs> um, but we basically, yeah, we were the researchers of the music, you know. We were trying to find the old school guys, the like, the traditional cats in town right. and, and, and the records just to check it out and and learn and even you know just listen to it really. right and who were the old school guys like whether it was yeah, guys so, in town or the records you were listening to like who who are those musicians yes. sao paulo had some old school cats rio had a lot of a lot more because the samba culture for that we were listening to comes from there mm -hmm. but sao paulo also had a, a a small culture of 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 samba and we followed them went to shows ended up meeting them and becoming friends and they they kind of guide us guided us through that process right mm -hmm. and then uh you know and and to clarify like you know the samba stuff is um the bossa nova comes from samba right mm -hmm. and and samba was it's it's a uh, basically they 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 were listening to a lot of jazz the the brazilian guys right mm -hmm. the brazilian musicians they loved it they fell in love with it and there's a guy named Pichinguinha in the 30s that he was doing the boat cruises, hmm. um, playing samba, and he, he got across with a jazz band. He was a saxophone player. Yeah. And so he fell in love with that. He started writing music for that. So huh. it goes all the way back to the 30s, the influence of on American music in Brazil as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's that style that Pichinguinha was involved in is called Chorinho which is a ner even earlier um, style than samba. Right. So I've heard of sh I've heard of choro. Yeah, that's but, it. Or chorinho is Choro chorinho is okay. yeah. Choro. So choro is the style that like you can hear a lot of the like jazz. It's almost our classical music, I would say. Right. And it's kind of like a guitar driven pre-samba yeah, style. Yeah. Exactly. Guitar cavaquinho, which is a small um, four-string guitar. Uh-huh. From um, originally from Portugal, I believe, um, one one percussion instrument usually maybe two, which right. is the pandeiro, the, right. the uh, hand drum, and um, yeah, that's that's that style. And then you know, samba became a big thing, and and then in the sixties, you know, bossa nova blew up, and that's kind of the the story there. A little background for that, so right? We, we were, I'm still into it, you know, still <laughs> yeah. learning it, and I love I love doing that with. With all the kind, all kinds of music, just trying to figure out, you know, where it comes from and going to the roots and why they did that and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when when you say like I'm from Brazil or I listen to Brazilian music, that that could mean as many things as saying I'm from the United States and I listen to American music. Yeah, like, that doesn't really mean very much. So. It's talk about like wide. yeah talk about the kind of city sao paulo is what region that's in how it differs from the other cities and regions in brazil because brazil is a huge country yeah. it's a huge diverse country um and i'm still learning about it but i i think you know the more people know about how big and how diverse a country it is 
um, the better. So like, what was, what was your experience in Sao Paulo? I mean, you know, Sao Paulo is, is a, the Mecca of, of everything. You know, it's, it's, I would compare it to New York. I would say just everything is there. You mm -hmm. know, you can't really say, oh, there's, you know, gr a great, you know, just great, whatever. It's, it's like great Japanese community there. Great, um, Italian community there, great Jewish community there, great Lebanese community there, just mm. everything is there. So all of that, you know, influence, influences you, you know, and and it's kind of a little more uh, crowded than New York, I would say. Wow. Like as far as space. Yeah. More crowded than New yeah, York. Yeah, so the neighborhoods are closer, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you get to, you get to experience, especially in music, there's, there was, you know, you can take a bus for 15 minutes and, and go see some incredible musicians you know and all that and acts from out of the country usually go go through there as well you know mm -hmm. so it was it was interesting to grow up there man and i i love it i still you know i still love it still call it home mm -hmm. i don't know if i would go back but i <laughs> <laughs> traffic is pretty crazy man yeah but uh but yeah it's it's incredible man And how, like, how would, you know, music or day-to-day -day life or food differ if you traveled to Bahia or to Rio or to, is it Minas Gerais? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, uh, it's, it's a slower pace if you go outside of Sao Paulo. Uh-huh. To Rio, even, even to Rio, which is a big city as well, but, you know, because you're in the, in, in the beach, you, um, there's that, you know, that breeze that helps people be a little calmer. Sao Paulo is a, is a fast-paced city and people are just walking around, running around, going to work and and pollution and traffic is insane. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that picture, you know? Yeah. But one thing I like about Sao Paulo that I, um, I still love that I don't see anywhere else, I haven't seen it yet, is that there's these uh, pockets of neighborhoods that are almost like a smaller city in, inside a bigger city. Mm-hmm. But there's really a culture about that. Like people really love that, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they kind of stay in those two, three neighborhoods and they are there. Yeah. They really don't know the rest of the city. Like, I kind of noticed that a little bit about Atlanta. Like it has, it has these little pockets of neighborhoods and, you know, every, I think most people in Atlanta have a civic pride about, about living in Atlanta. Right. But beyond that, there's like a neighborhood pride. There like, is some of you that. Know, we yeah. live in Kirkwood, or we right. live in Decatur, or we live in East Atlanta Village. Or like, right. It's that kind of like uh, micro-regional yeah. culture. It is that, and yeah, I agree. I think that that is that is as well there. Uh, very very strong, mm -hmm. you know, very strong. Even like during Carnival, um, there were there are these things called block blocos, which is blocks mm -hmm. of people that get together and, and play music and they they have a flag you know and they have yeah. um you know their culture there and they, every year people all the neighborhood comes there to celebrate the carnival but also the neighborhood you know they walk around they parade through the neighborhood right which is right. really cool it's i think it's cooler than the actual big parades because you get to see Like the street local flavor, yeah, 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 yeah. it's really fun. That's cool. What was yeah. the name of your neighborhood? Uh, Villa Mariana in Sao Paulo. Yeah, I still am pretty connected to the people there when I go. And yeah, there's a, a Bloco da Villa Mariana, which I it's just the carnival thing. I, I helped them found it oh, wow. back in 
I don't remember when, but it's been you know a long time. They still kicking it and having a great time there. Yeah, yeah. So is that like a working class neighborhood? Like yeah. What what did your what did your folks do? My my dad um, used to. My mom was a stay home mom uh-huh. uh, for the most most of the part, and then she went to architecture school. Mm-hmm. And my dad is a uh, was pretty much a project manager for a company that's similar to like Walmart. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we are working super working class. My dad, you know, worked in the early days from six to eleven, six a.m. to eleven p.m. I never wow. saw him. Yeah. Whew. My mom. We had, you know, we were th- three of us, and it's pretty fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, when when is it that you get into music seriously, and what is that like? What does that look like for a teenager in Sao Paulo who says? I want to be a professional musician. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, I think when I when I started playing drums, which was at the age of 12, because, you know, between 10 and 12, I was kind of following my brother, like I said, you know, just kind of following him around. And in samba rounds, it's pretty much you pick up whatever instrument, you know, that people are tired of playing or they want to go get a beer and, <laughs> and play, right? So I just literally just stand and watch that pattern because it's pretty much an ostinato pattern and right. then whenever people are tired they're like oh let me grab it yeah you yeah know? and then i've i fell in love with that man it's just and then crack tracking out the records and it was my full-time passion you know mm-hmm. at school after school just kind of checking stuff out man and at the age of 12 um i think i had one drum set lesson with a friend of my brother and then I I knew it. I knew it there. Mm-hmm. I was pretty confident that that's what I was wanted to do. You know. Yeah. Um. At so then you know five years later, I started like we just gradually picking up gigs. You know, mm-hmm. with the bands that I had, just little pocket of gigs in that same neighborhood. Uh, we founded the the block, which was a a lot of work because have to rehearse the samba school you know mm-hmm. get all the instruments tuned and all that and it, it's like you know it takes two three months before carnival to get that ready right and so it was just uh organic thing it wasn't a you know i'm gonna become a musician you know yeah it just kind of but at, at the age of 12 when i had the drum set lesson was when i realized that i was like this is what i want to do right yeah. right so like as you were working your way into you know the professional scene. Was it was it on percussion? Was it on drum set? Both. Um, and you know I, this is something I'm fascinated with is so much of Brazilian music, like so much of traditional Brazilian percussion. I mean, it's not drum set. Yeah. But in in the modern context, especially in the American context, we have to translate it onto drum set. Right. Um, so where was that line drawn for you? Like, did you start out saying, I'm going to play drum set? Or did you start out saying, I'm going to play percussion? Or was it just all part of the same? It was all part of, always, you know, always part of the same pot. Mm-hmm. But um, I think percussion was the first one that started working its way uh, into the professional world. But then when you started playing in restaurants and stuff, you kind of have to put a kit together. Right. And I started, you know, usually they don't want, you know, a full drum set because it's too loud. It's just a guitar and vocals and and percussion, maybe, you know, a 
a, a keyboard or a saxophone player or something like that. Uh-huh. So then you start putting these hybrid kits. So it's even like, even then it was hybrid already. Right. Uh, out of necessity. Yeah, out of necessity, <laughs> just to, to be a little, you know, have a quiet, quieter sound. And that's a that's a general culture there. A lot of people have the, these hybrid kits that they play mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was both. I mean, you know, I was in reggae bands, rock bands back in the day too. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just somebody, you know. Yeah. So it was, it was you know, on that it was full on drum set, and then the other stuff was right more of the percussion stuff it's another thing about brazilian music is that of you know of course when people think brazilian music they think samba and bossa nova mm-hmm. and of course that's what brazil is known for but the more i learn about it the more music i hear that's like so cool there's there's pop and rock and reggae and funk and like all kinds of shit coming out of brazil yeah man it's that, crazy it, and it all has you know the brazilian flavor it all has the brazilian swing yeah kind of the samba influence yeah. but um it's like new orleans you know people just think jazz when they get yeah. New Orleans, but there's so much oh, other yeah. music coming out of there. Yeah, um, it's pretty much that, man. I feel like you you you're right on on the money there. Yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, it's everybody just. Yeah, they you know everybody's into everything there, man. Right, like you know, Rush is huge in Brazil. <laughs> you never know, right? The things the things that you find out that people like there, uh-huh. you'll be surprised the amount of. Iron Maiden fans are there. Wow. And shirts that you see on the streets. Yeah. And just, you know, the influence of of American music there is is very big. Mm-hmm. You know. Just from the early ages we we had that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. In the radio playing, just regularly being around that too influenced everything as well for everybody there. Right. Yeah. So by the time you're late teens, early twenties you're you're playing all kinds of gigs on all kinds of instruments. So when I was uh, 18, I moved to back to the city where I was born, which is a small city, very small compared to 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 um, São Paulo. I don't remember the amount the population there, but you know I moved back there, and uh, it's a man. It people go out there. It's unbelievable. People love going out. So there's a lot of you know, in the city, um, the city strip, the the main uh, road, there was tons of bars and restaurants. And mm-hmm. So I ended up, you know, started um, getting involved with the school there, teaching kids to play or getting started on drums and percussion. There I started um, meeting people and started playing bands there. And that's where really I started making money with that, uh-huh. with money. I was still, I was still living with my mom. Um that's when my parents split the first time there. So my mom moved to the small city. My dad stayed in Sao Paulo. And uh, that's where I really started uh, making actual money to, like, survive right. off of music. You know? uh-huh. And that felt really good, man. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, I can actually do this. Like, it's when I, I realized that I could actually make a living off of it. Yeah. and And then... That's where also when I got into engineering, I did some engineering classes back then and and learned how to what you know what a compressor is, what an equalizer is, all that stuff. Uh-huh. So it was fun. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, from there on, I think from eighteen to oh, seventeen to nineteen, I um, I stayed in that city and, and worked there, and then I moved here. So you moved here that early? 
Yeah, f- or the first time around was as an exchange student. Okay. Yeah, in uh, wow. Idaho. <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. How did Idaho treat you? It was fun, man. You know, <laughs> you, you gotta learn. You, you know, I I took I make the made the best out of it and yeah. met, met great people and. Were you studying music or what were you? No, studying? Uh, the last year of high school. Okay. Yeah. Just cultural exchange, kind of. Yeah, like. little like yes, exactly. Yeah. For the last year of high school, and uh, I played some music there. I had some percussion. I that's when I really started digging into practicing because uh. in the winter there was <laughs> the snow out there, you know. And right, right. My dad got a job here in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you came with your dad to Atlanta. Yeah, I came to my with my dad to Atlanta. He uh, there's a big community here in Atlanta, um, in a neighborhood uh, called Mar- Marietta. Uh huh. You know that. Yeah. And um, they uh they they had a a Brazilian supermarket there. There's a big Brazilian community in Marietta. Yeah, there's like sixty thousand of us over here. I had no idea, man. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but um. So this friend of his that went to school with him back back you know when he was young to college moved over here start working at Coca-Cola and he opened this one small store ended up turning into six stores mm-hmm. around like the whole you know all, all of Atlanta and he couldn't take it anymore doing both both jobs so he just called my dad to manage he got the visa and and then we came over you know it was that simple. I I came actually, you know, I had a girlfriend in Brazil. We were like putting out our first record with the band over there. I was working, making money, you know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to come back. Uh-huh. Originally because um also my experience in Idaho, you know, I I I saw the United States a, a completely different thing than I see it now. Right. And I missed some of the elements of the you know, my culture mm-hmm. pretty much, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not going to leave there. But I'll, I'll come with you guys for two months, uh-huh. buy some drums over there, and, <laughs> and meet, maybe meet some people and come back. Right. So I was going to ask, like, you, you know, you spend six months in Idaho? No, a whole year. A whole year. So you spend a year in Idaho, and you come back to Brazil, and, and your friends in Brazil ask you, what is America like? And <laughs> what, what do you say after a year in Idaho? I mean, you know, what my experience there was... Um, you know, was was awesome, but it was it was very cold, man. <laughs> I I don't like the cold. I have to say, I'm not very fond of the cold. So I I um, you know, I just told him what it was. The city was you know three thousand uh, people only oh, in the man. city coming from a twenty five million. You know? Right, right. So it was just, you know, I was like, no, I'm good. Like, I, right, you know. So I would imagine you know coming to Atlanta, maybe. Uh, you know, disabused you of a few of the notions you had about life in America. Yeah. After a, you know, year in town of 3000 in Idaho. Yeah. You know, different experience immediately. Um, it took a while also to sink in. That was a different thing. I was young, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, uh, started realizing that was, I mean, I fell in love with the city. Mm-hmm. I really did. And it was, it's just getting to meet people too. It was it was really interesting, man. The first day I I I set foot in Atlanta, I um I was at the store. My dad literally like right after we got out the plane. 
right? Mm-hmm. My dad was already here working. My mom and I came. I'm just sitting there eating some food and, and you know, just checking out the, the store. This guy comes in with, with his son, and he's got a bunch of CDs in his hands. And he comes in, and he's like, oh, I would like to speak to the manager. You know, do you know where he is? I was like, oh, yeah, my dad is the manager, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So my dad comes and, and they're like, oh, man, you know, we're having a CD release party. We'd like to sell these CDs over there, over here, if possible, you know, put some t- CDs out for sale. And my dad's like, well, you know, my, my son is a musician, blah, blah, blah. End up being really good friends with that guy, played in a band with him for six years. Hmm. And he uh, he actually connected to a, a connected, um, helped me connect with the music community here. Mm-hmm. Um and I immediately started working. And the next week, I was I had four or five gigs a week. Wow! Yeah, on percussion, on, on drum percussion. set. Yeah, yeah, with this guy named Sasha. He's a Russian seven-string guitarist. Huh. And I was just backing him up. This friend of mine played in another band, and he was trying to help him out to to get him you know organized. And I started playing here, at the man. Like the week after, so it was. Of course, I fell in love with the city, you know. Right, right. So, already so much work, and I've met so many people, and um, yeah, that's how how it it was almost like destiny, man. Right. Yeah. It really felt like that, you know. Never, never wanted to come back after that. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Like, you know, I I followed my wife here. Mm-hmm. You followed your dad here, and and I think we were in the same boat like before before the option of moving to atlanta became real i knew nothing about atlanta right and as soon as i got here it was like holy shit yeah there's musicians all over the place there's gigs all over the place right the musicians are badass yeah and they're all really nice (laughs) yeah exactly it's it's the whole yeah exactly yeah (laughs) and you realize how and then later on when i started traveling i realized how badass they were really Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I was playing around in town, you see, like, oh, they're, they're good. And then you go to other cities, you're like, wait, we've got nothing to lose against these guys over here. Yeah. Like, you know, it's really, and it's got its own sauce, too, really, really yeah. awesome city, man. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. Um, so how long did you spend in Atlanta before uh, the Janelle Monet thing came up? Uh yeah, about seven or eight years. Uh huh. And how did that how did that come about? I think it was word word of mouth. What what I heard from the musical director and the drummer. Who um, is the drummer? Drummer is Mike Mikey Phillips. Okay. Became one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was I before that I'm. How did that happen, man? I don't remember. Well, if you don't remember, it was probably an organic thing. It, it was wasn't totally you know, organic. It wasn't like you got a phone call and said, "Be here at such and such a time for an audition," you know. And no, <laughs> no, no, they didn't do. I mean, they did some auditions, but not for percussion. I think, mm-hmm. or at least they didn't tell me it was an audition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it was organic. I know who recommended. A few people that recommended, they said it was three or four people, four different people. Mm-hmm. But I know that I was playing with Sonny Emery before that yeah. on his band. And I think they called the bass player for that band uh, and and asked about a percussionist. And I think they also called uh, possibly Sam Sims, mm-hmm. bass player, and Little John. 
Yeah. The drummer for J- Janet, and mm-hmm. I think they all kind of mentioned my name, and it was uh, it was just a uh, you know call, phone call. I didn't know where, who they were back then, you know. Right. And he was in Kansas City. No shit. Yeah, he was in Kansas. But yeah, because Janelle is from. Is she from Kansas City? He, or? She's from Kansas City. Okay. Originally. Yeah. They were in Kansas City doing a tour with Off Montreal. I don't know if you know that band. I don't. From from um, Athens. Okay. And and the phone call was just bad. A bad phone call was on my birthday <laughs> in 2010, and um, was um, smoking a cigar with Colin. <laughs> and I got a phone call. We were smo- you know, you and me and Colin got to get together and smoke a cigar. I know. Soon. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. It was, you know, his birthday is a day before mine, so we were just celebrating. Our oh, that's birthday. great! And I got that call, and I didn't know who they were. I had to go online and find out, and that was it, man. It was six years ago. Yeah, and is that kind of the f- the first iteration of her band? Because that, I mean, she hasn't been around that long. That was, you man. Know, she, you know what's what is this 2017 yeah the band she was around four years before that or maybe three three or four mm-hmm. but yeah she um she started just with a uh her band uh setting was a guitar guitarist which is still the same kalindo mm-hmm. and um drums was this guy that lives in canada now I, his name is I don't remember right now. And then a DJ. Hmm. Yeah, the guy just pressing play on some things. And then they ended up getting a bass player slash keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And from there on was just, uh, you know, going up, I guess. That tour of Montreal was just four of them. And um, I guess what happened is she played at BET. Uh she did a cover of Prince, mm-hmm. and Prince was there. <laughs> and so then Prince called her. She, I mean, that's I think that's I, there's a video out there of that uh-huh. when he's watching her perform uh, Let, "Let's Go Crazy." Right. And uh, I think she he called her and said, "I want you to open for us." You know. Yeah. And so that's when she. I think that's my understanding is that's when the band got right. They're they're bigger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when you came on. That's when I came on. Right. 2010. We, we we were rehearsing the first time I got in the band when we were at rehearsal the MD said that we were going to open for for <laughs> Prince at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> that was the first call. Wow. I'm like, okay, that's that's cool like yeah. You know. <laughs> you say yes to that. Yeah, you say yes to that, you know. Yeah. And then it, they're family now, you know, it became family. Yeah, right yeah. There. So by the time you you were in the conversation for this gig, you'd been Atlanta in Atlanta seven or eight years, playing with everybody locally and and getting your name around to people like Sonny Emery and Little John, who are, uh, you know, world famous drummers, but at the same time local because mm-hmm. they're still here, yeah, and they still play here, yeah. Um, so by the time this you know R and B soul gig came around. Was there was there a learning curve for you for like American pop music for that kind of thing? Uh yes. I mean, there's always music to learn, you know. But if you these these records right here, man, like it's all my mom's and my dad, my 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 gr- grandfather's uh, collection, and they, you'd be surprised what you can find in here, man. Pink Floyd from Pink Floyd to Earth and Fire, and 
you know, just all kinds of stuff, man. Yeah. And so I was, my I mean, my first record was a, a, a Paul McCartney record, and then my second one was Queen. Mm. So, like, that's, you know, we were, we were listening to that stuff. Just everything. It was right. a, There was no, oh, you, my mom was always very adamant about, like, do not, like, get stuck in one style of music. Uh-huh. When we were doing the samba thing, she was always on us like, "You gotta, you gotta listen to something else, you know. <laughs> like, just take a break, <laughs> you know." <laughs> so she was always for country, just everything. My dad loved the traditional country music of some of of Brazil, so we had just everything man yeah. around, you know. So, what is the traditional country music of Brazil? It's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful man. It's uh, yeah, you know the 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 it's. Like a, a then an instrument called viola, which uh-huh. is a five string, um, d- five double strings. So it's ten, ten strings, uh-huh. and and there's some real masters of that, and but there's also guys that you know songwriters, right? That write about life, you right? Know, folk songs, yeah, folk songs, man, yeah, and they're beautiful, yeah, yeah. Um, so during the time you're in Atlanta, you're you're kind of getting on the job training in in. American pop music of, of various stripes. But during that and before that, you had been just immersing yourself in these records. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I used to sit down back, you know, back as a teenager, just put the record in and and try to play with it, see what the drummer was doing, learn the feels. You know, we yeah. obviously had, you know, Dennis Chambers cassette <laughs> tapes of, of them playing and all that and, and learning just... I, we loved everything about that, so yeah. it was it was a it was already there, right? You know, I, it ex- definitely expanded here. You know, like I got to, I remember getting together with little John was yeah, like at my twenties here, and he's like, "You need to know who Questlove is." You mm-hmm. know, back when nobody knew who the Roots were, and right. all that they were. He's from Philly as well, so and uh, Sonny, you know, like mm-hmm. I always asked him at you know, like man, what do we what do I listen to? You know. So there was a lot of asking around, yeah. finding out what they were listening to, just to kind of figure out what was going on. Yeah. Was it an adjustment for you um, as far as the the role of the percussionist? Uh, because in, in Brazilian music, in samba, I mean, there are like three or four or five percussionists, and they're, they're front and center, and it's a very... It's a very front and center role, but I think in American pop music, the role of the percussionist is more much more the icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, and the drum set is what is, you know, driving that mm-hmm. that rhythm section. That's a good question. I think no, man, I don't remember having that transition because like you said there's five percussionists. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not you're never you're never the uh hot seat or the center of attention, you know. Right, right. There's always it's just a wall of sound and you, nobody moves and right. you just walk going through it, right? Uh-huh. It's the same concept, man. It doesn't change much to to play with like Sonny, you know. Nobody moves. He's playing drums. <laughs> right. So I'm right there I'm all I'm doing is being right next to him, the co pilot, you right. know, and you each you each have your lane. Yeah, like just facilitating him, really. Just mm-hmm. like yeah, co-piloting really, like you know, just turning some knobs while he's driving the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so that's I, 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 I love that man. That's my favorite thing to do, by the way. Like just be the co-pilot. Yeah, you know? and yeah, I love that man. It's my passion. I love uh, facilitating the drummer. I love playing with different drums and learning what they do. 
that's why I think I still play drums, you know, because I'm always like next to yeah you know, drummers and and learning what they do you know, i so. I know what you mean because like obviously these days in in my musical life it's it's ninety nine percent drum set and mm-hmm. i I like being the pilot you know and being the yeah. one in control but um i've I've never really had a lot of experience in in the kind of role that you play as the percussionist but what what it made me think of was when I was in college, I was heavy into classical music. Mm-hmm. I played in orchestra and symphonic band and wind ensemble and all this stuff. And the role of the percussionist in that is much more what you're talking about. Just like turning a little knob here, mm-hmm. doing a little thing there, mm-hmm. um, the icing on the cake. And, and even though I eventually turned away from that and back to the drum set, like there was a, a certain like satisfaction about doing this little subtle thing that makes all the difference mm-hmm. in, a, in a big ensemble. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't mind, I, you know, I'm not mad at being, you know, the co-pilot. I actually love doing that, man, yeah. you know. I love being just a facilitator of of that, the music, of, you know, of what we're, of the actual music. I'm not interested in, I was never interested in being the flashy guy mm-hmm. or the, um, yeah, the solo guy, you know, I'm not a great soloist. Mm-hmm. I'm not a uh, incredible, you know, filler or anything like that. I'm just not a fancy drummer. I've never <laughs> been one. Yeah. And there was never an interest in that, mm-hmm. you know, in percussion as well, man. I mean, I know hundreds and hundreds of guys that can kill the percussion soloing and, and, and grooving too. But I'm I'm that guy that my passion is to facilitate the music mm-hmm. groove and energy wise, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah, it was yeah. always like that. Yeah, and I'm I stand by it, man. <laughs> I stand by <laughs> it's, it. I it's think, working for you, man. I think it's well. I think it's a it's a uh, it's what music needs, you know. Yes. I always even in jazz, man. Like I yes. went, you know, I went to Georgia State for jazz, mm-hmm. and even in jazz, it's the groove. Yeah, there's comping, there's there's a lot of more open, but this, the groove is there, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to stick to that, man. Yeah. I was I was talking with uh, Justin Chizarek uh, a few days ago, and I'm going to interview him next week. But yeah. we, we were having the same kind of conversation. Uh, and Adam Goodhue said the same thing about even, even when you're playing jazz, which we think of as really improvisational and really interactive, mm-hmm. which it can be. You know, we we forget about the groove. We forget yeah. about swing. We forget about backbeat. Yeah. Um. And you know that that stuff is still important in jazz. Yeah. Um, That's always my main focus. Sitting behind any instrument is like, mm-hmm. how can I make this? How can I facilitate this music to feel good? Yeah. You know, whatever it is, if it's a triangle, a shaker, or a backbeat, you know, how can I make this feel better? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um. Given your your background and skill set, are there ways that Janelle's band or their musical direction has kind of capitalized on what you do and and who you are as a percussionist? Um, or have you had to conform to the American pop kind of thing? Well, there's you know I sneak some I sneak some of my flavors in there. You know, <laughs> um, we did we did a, a movie. Um, they they wrote a song for Rio too. Uh-huh. The, that movie uh, it's a uh, cartoon from you know it's one of those cartoons and it's awesome and she wrote one of these songs the producers by the way love Brazilian music mm-hmm. all, all the producers for Janelle and so they they're into all that um, 
one of them speaks Portuguese and so that that already is there you know so I, probably one of the reasons why they called me the is like oh this guy is Brazilian you know blah mm -hmm. blah blah um, so yeah there's I've 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 recorded on some stuff and I put some of some of the the stuff that I like to do yeah when there's space when they open that that opportunity you know right and so when we did the Rio 2 we went uh, to LA to cut that song and and that was I mean I was uh, I was comfortable you know was at <laughs> home it's like Brazilian samba drums yeah I, I know how to do this right you know? right <laughs> you guys you guys are on my turf now <laughs> well yeah well yeah you know as far as the percussion section goes we there was two of us three of us there we all knew what we were doing, you know, yeah. that. So, it was, yeah, it was. I get to sneak in sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> it's fun. You talk about, like, investigating the roots of a musical style. Yeah. What has that journey been like for you in America, in the South, and, and uh, you know, getting into our rural country music and, right. and our traditional roots music man i i have to admit that on that end i haven't really done a whole lot of research mm -hmm. i just you know i i just play off off what the guitarist is doing i honestly don't i haven't really done a whole lot of research on that man i'm not gonna lie to you um but i would love to i've always in the back of my mind as it's one of the things you know that i need to get into mm -hmm. but i love playing that music yeah. i love playing uh you know with songwriters and learning what the song is about and and just you know facilitate again facilitating the music of what he's singing or what that feels if it's a church that's what it means you know and right. put that out there you know just always translate the energy that you that they want you to and you just kind of become a chameleon ch chameleon and yeah and and play that you know yeah that's i don't i haven't really done any research that so well but it's it's an intuitive thing to because i mean in in you know in samba you talked about the relationship with the guitar in in american roots music and yeah. in samba you know the, the guitar and percussion are just the same yes <laughs> i mean yeah the yeah the guitar is doing the rhythms of the the percussion instruments right literally that's how it got translated right know? so without without doing a ton of research on american roots music you were like probably just tuned into the guitar already and if you like you notice that the guitar is speaking a different language and now i have to try to speak this language yeah that's yeah. that's kind of you kind of translated yes it's exactly what happened yeah it's just i'm always i've always played with guitarists you know because of the restaurant gigs and stuff right. so that that helped, I think, because you learn, you at least learn what they're trying to get out of a drummer. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, I got to give this to Sasha, which is, I played with him for three or four years. Colin also did 10 years with him after, oh, wow. after me. Or, yeah, eight years. And and he's a seven-string guitar maestro. That That's, you know, where all that knowledge of, like, how do I play with this guitar is really expanded because he separates the top and the bottom like nobody else I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So you're doing the bass lines here, but you also have to keep a you know a, a eight or sixteen groove for the top end so he can move around. You know? Right, right. And that was that was priceless, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, priceless to spend it, that much time with him. 
it was cool what you said about like a, a guitarist will will tell the drummer what they need just by what's coming out of the guitar. Yeah. Like, can can you give an example of that? Of like a guitarist you've played with here, or just something you've picked up on with guitar players over the years. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I feel like I um I feel like guitarists will. I immediately know where they sit in the groove when I hear them play. Mm-hmm. Like if they're a little, you know, a lot of them sometimes electric guitars they sit a bit on top of the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's like, you know, just any any style. If I think about it right now, uh, the country stuff I feel like they're right in the middle, mm-hmm. and I sit right behind them uh-huh. just to kind of like, you know, yeah. It's just that kind of stuff, you know. You see them where they sitting in the groove, uh-huh. and then I I place myself around them. Yeah, That's yeah. Literally on, on even on pop gigs, you know, because the guitar, if it, there's you know they're just playing groove, a lot of that is basically what we're doing on the percussion too. So I I try to stay out of that way, uh-huh. you know, and still facilitate, still help the time with the drummer, mm-hmm. you know, push that. Yeah, I, I think a lot about that when I play with guitars. I've I've been thinking about a similar thing recently. Uh, is just not, you know, simplifying my playing. I talk about simplifying my playing all the time, but specifically with guitar, in a lot of styles of music, the guitar is, there's so much rhythmic content oh, yeah. in what the guitar is doing. And, and I've, I've learned that I don't have to do all that. <laughs> oh, man. You know, like that rhythmic content can just be taken up by that instrument and I don't have to also take it up. Like yeah. you were saying, just stay out of that thing's way. Yeah. Um, and and try to frame it but i've i've had the same conversation about singers how like you know depending on the inflection that singers put on things or depending on their body language like you can really pick up on what they want and what they need like more energy less energy yeah dynamics on, on top of the beat behind the beat um like they might actually stomp their foot where they're feeling a downbeat yeah you know and it's it's not that they're trying to be a dick and tell you like this is where i want it it's kind of subconscious for them they just feel it there you know um but i never thought about guitarists in in the same way because guitarists are full of body language (laughs) yeah exactly yeah right yeah i yeah you're you're right about that guitarist man Guitars have a lot to tell, you know, mm-hmm. and keyboards too. I mean, but you know, in the situations I play, I think it, unless the keyboard player is playing, as far as rhythm goes, and in, in the in the percussion world, I'm talking about, uh, they're, you know, they could be just padding or just playing a little rhythm. Unless they're playing like a clav or something, mm-hmm. then you I. My eyes, you know, my my brain goes on. It's like, wait, I gotta give him some space, you mm-hmm. know, man. that kind of stuff. You right, know? right. Or if he just kind of like, you know, you're playing with Nick Rose and he's like, he does that thing. You know? <laughs> like, okay, I need to like just chill because that's what that's what he's feeling right now. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff, man. I I love that, man. That's my passion is playing with people and and just learning. Even now, learning how to be better at that. You mm-hmm. know, that's my favorite thing to do man. yeah i i realized yesterday uh i don't even know what made me think of it but i i just kind of realized like i don't i don't really give a shit what a drummer sounds like by himself i don't like man. there there are some drummers that I, I love to listen to them solo and just explore their ideas and improvise like there's there's a few but 
you know, nine times out of ten, or maybe ninety-nine times out of a hundred, I want to hear a drummer play a song. Yeah, with a band. Yeah, me too. You know, and 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 I appreciate. Yes, like you said, I I do appreciate watching. You know these videos of. I mean, just anybody. I, you know, John Blackwell just passed. Yeah, and I I got. I was lucky enough to sit in on on that on a Prince jam with him, and mm. I. And and this particular video I saw, he's choppy. I think it's the Buddy Rich um, DVD that they put out. Like, was he years on ago. one of those? I think so. Okay, yeah. Because it was a big band, and he's rip. I mean, he's destroying the the <laughs> the, the, the drum set, and right. I appreciate that because I was like, wow, this guy spent so much time. Yeah. On his craft, right? You know, I love that. But then I remember. The jam session and the groove that that guy had mm -hmm. with a band, I've never felt like that in my life. Yeah. You know, he was so unique, man. And um, I, I'm going to miss him, man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to miss him for sure. I People don't talk so much about him, you know? Yeah. I think, <laughs> and I, I was guilty of this too. Like, I, I just kind of put him in the Prince box. Yeah. Like, he's Prince's drummer and he does that thing. And he, you know, he did it so well, he obviously. Bad, yeah, he did, he did amazing. Yeah. Um, but but he, he was much more than Prince's drummer and just a singular voice on the drums. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. So speaking of immersing yourself in records, uh, you're heavily involved in the ATL Collective. Oh, yeah. Tell people what that is. ATL Collective is uh, <laughs> uh, a community here in Atlanta that does um, basically records from top to bottom, mm -hmm. and they um, you know dig in and and it's awesome, man. It's like a workout, you know. Right, right. It's like a a triathlon or a <laughs> you know you get, you get that you get that gig you know that you're gonna have to learn the specific parts of this record and you have to understand where it comes from and just everything it's a lot of fun man mm -hmm. i got to learn you know i knew tlc but i didn't really know tlc's music like that yeah um stevie wonder you know as much as i'm a fan of his once you really Are playing every single song of that the records you like oh wow yeah look yeah. at and you know look so, what most mostly he he recorded that kind of stuff so. right right so once a month they do one of these shows where they, yes. they play a record top to bottom once a month yeah. um and they choose a different record every month and it, it just runs the gamut like just in the year and a half that i've been here i've they've they've done uh joni mitchell stevie wonder um james brown's funky christmas um 
there was a few that that you've been involved in that that I did not see. Okay, computer. I wasn't involved in that, but they right, did that. Right. They're doing the Beatles album now. Yeah. What was the last one they did that just Marvin Gaye? Right. <laughs> That's a spiritual record, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's such a cool project because I think, you know, d- depending on the record that they're doing and depending on who's involved in that on that particular month, um, you know, sometimes it'll be like a a note for note recreation of the track. Other times it'll be more of a reinterpretation. Um Oh yeah, we did do Rubber Soul as as like a country feel or yeah, like a singer songwriter thing. I I had a hybrid kit and there was a banjo player, right? A mandolin. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. That it's, was a complete recreation. I don't know. Have they done more than that? Well, the, I remember the one of the first shows I saw in Atlanta was the Joni Mitchell show. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Marlon Patton played on that right. one, and Adron sang yeah. um, and did her just amazing Adron thing. Um, but I remember they did Joni Mitchell Blue. And, yeah. and some of those some of those songs they did you know pretty true to the original and some of them were just a complete reimagining of the song mm-hmm. um, but it's it's such a cool concept to present this music and these records in in a way that um, celebrates the people who are playing it yeah you know um, because there are some tribute bands or some shows like this where the you know the personalities and the skill sets and the passions of the people playing the music, uh, have to take a back seat to what is on the record. What does this record sound like? Right. Um, but with ATL Collective, it you know so much of of the flavor of the Atlanta music scene, I yeah. think, is in every one of those shows. They did the the Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced, yeah. and Marlon Patton and Rick Lawler did the right. their duo thing. Um, and right. So you know, it didn't sound exactly like Jimmy, but it was it was like those songs with those guys, and it was this perfect marriage of right. you know local local flavor and iconic record right you know yeah i agree i think uh well yeah i think the fact that that works so well as well is because they 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 do call i mean you know marlon and rick you know incredible musicians yeah they're they're already just maddeningly good yeah they're they're already (laughs) unique on their own so that you can't take I think it's a natural organic thing. You can't take that away from, from them. You know, right. you just cannot. Right. I mean, they could, but they, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't. Either, probably they don't do that anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just a natural thing that you're going to get a lot of um, their own sound in there, you know. Yeah. No matter how much you, you know, you're trying to copy or it ends up being, you know, always sounding like you. So Yeah. So as cool. as as a percussionist involved with that project, do they do they only bring you in when they listen to the record and there's like oh there's a bunch of percussion we got to get Rafa or do they do, have you have you played a bunch of percussion on songs that did not have yeah I mean there's there there are records that they call me for like it's you know there it's either there or some of the songs that have no percussion and if it's like a ballad and I need to sit out I'll sit out but if there's a part that I feel like it's gonna fit. I'll ask, you know, you guys want me to play this? And if mm-hmm. it's cool, yeah, it's, you know, put it in there. Yeah. And, yeah, there's some things that I change around. Right. Just because sometimes, you know, even the the actual artist, I know that for a fact because you, you probably know that too. Like, you know, um, the records come out and they sound like something, especially in the pop world. And then you go play live and 
you do a different a different version of it right. you know you just sometimes you can't can't have everything that's there mm-hmm. or the artist wants to play it faster you know or he wants a different feel for for the show mm-hmm. but why not do the same thing when we're recreating those records you know? right i i completely agree with their system you know i think what would tl like we did just did tlc what would tlc do on this song mm-hmm. you know i think they would probably pay a little faster so why don't we do that you know yeah um i think the, that way you know why right. not <laughs> and even if they wouldn't play it faster we want to yeah and this is our show exactly <laughs> exactly we are playing they're not playing right yeah 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 well cool man uh thanks so much for talking it was it was great hearing great hearing about brazil and yeah. this is like this is the longest conversation we've ever had yeah that's we, true. you know we've seen each other a bunch and played a couple gigs and whatever but, yeah but it was it was good to hear about you <laughs> yeah, man. and Thank not just for... about whatever gig we're doing that day right are just yeah. running around packing drums <laughs> yeah man I gotta go <laughs> that's good yeah we should do this more often man yeah. without the mic <laughs> yes without, without the mic and with uh, a few cigars and with Colin done alright set thanks man Appreciate thank you man you, bro. cool talk solid dude great musician hope you enjoyed getting Rafa's perspective from outside the drum set and from outside the United States it really takes all kinds out there in the music world and here on the podcast Once again, we'd be extremely grateful if you would make a donation at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any amount helps, and every amount is appreciated. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Matthew Krause is back with you next week, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.